Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hi everybody, this is the Cricket Badger podcast. Each badger marks the track with its own scent. His black legs are short but very powerful for digging. The name badger probably comes from the French word bêche, meaning digger. Hello everybody, welcome along to another edition of the Cricket Badger County Cricket Podcast. I'm delighted to say today, joining me, James Butler, the Cricket Badger, it's Ryan Higgins, the Gloucestershire All-Rounder. Ryan, how are you? Yeah, no, I'm good, thanks. Um, thanks for having me on. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you back on. And uh, as always, the special guest is alongside Knuckle Pandey and the Fan Badgers. It's Fan Badger at the moment. Knuckle, are you okay? Yeah, very good, thanks. Uh, besieged as ever by sports, been a little bit of football, a little bit of cricket, a little bit of tennis, it's all good. We've timed this podcast very badly today because we're actually just going into extra time with Croatia, Spain. If you listen a year on to this podcast, that'll mean nothing to you at all. But today it's been quite exciting. Abby, how are you? I am very well. Thank you, James. Thankfully, I'm blessed in the fact that cricket is the only sport that I like. So <laughs> I don't have to worry. And, and you're a Somerset fan, Abby, and Ryan's yeah, from Gloucestershire. So I was wondering so, how long it would take that so to come up. Is there going to be some animosity between you two today? I hope not. I'd, no, no, there won't. Well, you, I'm sorry, you, there won't be. You, um, you didn't guarantee it with the first response, though. Yeah, well, it, I'm a Somerset fan who lives in Bristol, so if I speak the slightest bad thing about Gloucestershire, then I feel like I'll have an angry mob at my door. And I would never anyway, because they're a lovely team. You're yeah. just protecting your new house, aren't you? Because you moved into a new house, you're making sure that's not uh, not attacked. Uh, Ryan, let's get back to you. It's good to have you with us. How's the uh, move down in, in Bristol and Gloucestershire at the moment? Yeah, no, it's, it's been really good. Um, um, the lads are loving playing, I suppose. Um, we had a very good start to the championship and then which sort of tailed off. I think that was just due to a bit of fatigue. Um, guys were tired. And yeah, I suppose you can't win them all, but it was really nice start. And the T20s sort of going how they usually go, which is good for now. Um, and we just got to keep up that momentum. It can change quite quickly. Well, Kevin Sharp was our guest last week, the uh, Worcestershire coach, former Yorkshire batsman. And he left a question for you at the end of that podcast. I'll ask you to do the same at the end of our podcast today for Anthony McGrath, who's our guest next week. But Kevin was talking about you. He said that he didn't, hadn't actually really met you 
very much uh, in the past, but he's obviously seen you play and uh, a lot of people at Worcester have got quite high regard for you as a player. And he wondered how you viewed your future in terms of maybe stepping up to higher levels. Yeah, good good question. Um, a question I ask myself quite a lot, to be honest. Because of the pace I bowl, I suppose, um, it's, it's something that I don't really know the answer to yet. I think, um, I think, well, I think that it's going to be with the bat that if anything, if I want my career to progress to the next level, I'm going to have to do more with a bat probably, which is not as easy as, you know, just saying I want to do better with the bat. Um, but yeah, and I suppose as time goes on, if I can put on a yard with my bowling, it might progress, but I suppose it's just about as well, just as much as putting in really consistent performances where people, you know, can't keep ignoring you, I suppose. But yeah. When you talk about the pace with the ball, I mean, we've had Chris Rushworth on recently. We've had Ben Sanderson on recently as well. And I guess a lot of people would look at them in terms of test potential as, as maybe, I don't know, a little bit too slow for the, the highest level. Ollie Robinson, though, came into the team the other day and did really nicely. And he's not express pace. So you don't have, if, as long as you've got the skills, you don't necessarily have to have the um, express pace. Yeah, I think um, obviously Ollie Robinson um, has probably, from what I've seen, put on pace over the mm. last maybe three, four years. I think he sort of averages about 83 to 85 mile an hour now, whereas probably when he first started, he was probably, you know, between 80 and 82 mile an hour. And obviously he's quite tall and he uses every bit of that height. So um, different in the sense as well with Sando and um, Rushy, where they're a bit more along the wicket, whereas I feel like Robbo can, he almost makes it feel like five mile an hour quicker than it is just because of the bounce that he gets. Yeah. So, yeah, I suppose similar bowlers in terms of what they've probably done, but, you know, they they feel different when you're actually facing them. Go back to your first day on this planet, and that was in Harare, in Zimbabwe, wasn't it? Uh, yeah. And then you moved over as a fairly young child to, to the UK. Does that mean that you're actually eligible for... Um, playing for Zimbabwe. I've got a question. We put out uh, that you were coming on the podcast. There's a question on Twitter for you from Chris who says, would he ever consider playing for Zimbabwe? Is that actually a possibility? Um, I don't know, to be honest. I haven't really explored it. I presume because I was born there, I probably could, but I would lose my right to potentially play county cricket as well as play for England. So um, yeah, not something I've sort of considered as of yet but maybe something to look at in the future if, you know, things here don't go to plan. On the, on the basis it's not been in your mind, then that answers the question really, that it's not it's not been a consideration. There's a, a couple more questions from the, uh, the the listeners as well for you. Tim says, does Ryan feel that the new conference system gives him the opportunity to push for international honours, kind of the back of the Kevin Sharp question really, better than the two-divisional format? I mean, Gloucestershire had got themselves up into the first division, but you never really had the chance to actually properly explore that potential, did you, before COVID struck and we, we changed the format of the game? But do you think? Do you think that the uh, the conference system, where people aren't saying, "Well, they're just second division wicket, second division runs," actually helps you? Yeah, I think it does. I mean, obviously, we had sort of got ourselves up into Division One, um, but I think in a way, it's worked quite nicely. I mean, you know, with the conference system that started, you know, the first year of COVID, um, the Bob Willis Trophy, we sort of got an absolute handing to by Somerset, so that gave us a good idea of where we were. In terms of, yeah, don't want to mention it too much, but that uh, sort of gave us a good indication of where we were. So having the year off, I suppose, and another year to progress to that next level was certainly helped prepare me probably more so with the, the bowling than the batting. 
Um, I think the batting still is a lot to be desired, I suppose. But um, yeah, I would say it has in terms of you're playing against stronger opposition quite a lot of the time. But also at the same time, I feel like, and this will sound a bit weird, I feel like it depends day to day how those players actually play against you. Mm. I mean, we played Somerset first, was it second game of the year, Surrey first game of the year. Uh, Surrey, probably, you know, they always miss all their England players and stuff like that. So they didn't have their full strength side out. So I would say they weren't necessarily a top division one side at that stage. They had a lot of good batters, but they didn't have that much bowling. So I suppose week on week, it, it sort of changed. And then second week at Somerset, we were lucky, you know, our best player, James Bracey, did really well, sort of helped get us through, you know, Somerset's bowling. And I'd say at that stage, you know, Tom Abel probably wasn't firing as much as he potentially has been, which showed in the second. And then the second time we played them, it was like mm. just unbelievable difference. You know, again, you have Craig bowling. I think um, he's bowling like 88 mile an hour. He had, they had a speed gun on him. And that was just different to what he was doing in the first game. So day to day, I suppose it's different. It does make a difference playing against these guys week in, week out. Yeah. I'm going to ask you a couple more questions before I hand across to Knackle. Hopefully I've not used all Knackle's questions up by uh, the time I get to him. But um, one of the final um, questions today from uh, the uh, the listeners, from uh, Bobson Dugnett. That's a great name. What is Chris Dent's Red Bull leadership style like and how much of an influence does it have on the team? Chris Dent, um, yeah. So he's actually a really relaxed, relaxed guy. Doesn't try and impose himself on anyone just lets guys, you know, get on with what they're trying to do. I suppose that sort of created quite a relaxed culture and um, within the dressing room, you know, even in times when we're probably behind the game or um, struggling a bit, you can see the confidence is still there because no one's sort of, you know, in your grill trying to tell you how to play or, or that kind of thing. So I think that's one thing he's brought. But also, I would say the professionalism that he's brought to the side over the last three years, he has a really clear direction um, in which he wants to take the team forward. Yeah, that revolves around, you know, hard work as well as um, a real like mental side of the game, I suppose. I don't really know how to describe, but he's mm. really massive into making sure you're prepared mentally to play cricket as well as actually practicing and stuff like that. So I think a lot of guys have taken, and obviously his performances, you know, they speak for themselves. So, you know, guys just naturally sort of are happy to listen to what he has to say. A lot of people have talked about Chris Dent as a potential England candidate. And he, I mean, he's always been dismissed as scoring second division runs and, he, you know, it's, it's not real cricket kind of stuff by people that dismiss him. But we just say, I mean, you mentioned James Bracey there. James has been on the podcast before. And I really like, sometimes you interview people and you kind of like forget about them instantly. Sometimes you kind of interview people and you really like them. And then you kind of follow their careers a little bit and you want them to do well. And James Bracey was one of those for me, really, because he came on and he was a, lo a lovely lad. So I was looking at his test debut and thinking, go on, go on, show him what he can do. Because I've seen him play for Gloucestershire as well and he's a terrific player. And he didn't quite do himself justice, did he? I mean, I, I guess a lot of the Gloucestershire lads were probably watching that and thinking, uh, feeling a bit sorry for him because he, he, he's been waiting in the bubbles all that time. And then he had his two test matches and it didn't quite work out for him. Yeah, really tough. Like Jimmy, you know, he, he's as hard a worker as... You know, I've seen probably the hardest worker I've ever seen when it comes to cricket. And obviously, such a good guy. Yeah, I think, you know, it's two games... It obviously was disappointing to watch that he didn't get as many runs as he would have liked, or but I think he sort of did really well behind the stumps for what it, you know for what he's experienced behind the stumps. He's mm. he's only played like 16 first class games as a keeper. I suppose to a point thrown in at the deep end would be a way to describe it. But 
you know, obviously he would never want that opportunity to go to anyone else either way. But I think batting at seven might have also been a tough thing. Mm. I'm not sure how much he would have had, you know, had to wait around and watch guys bat and then go in five down. You know, normally he's straight in there. And and I wonder if that also, you know, made a difference. I know it's probably a bit easier, but mentally it probably also isn't exactly how he imagined, I suppose, making his test debut as a wicketkeeper batsman. Who knows wins? Put your money where your mates are. Download the app now from the Apple App Store or the Google Play Store. Michael, over to you. Yeah, I wanted to ask about about James Bracey. Now that he's back with the group, does the does the squad and the Gloucestershire group and the and and the coaching staff play a role in kind of in picking him up a little bit and, and almost reminding him how good a player he is? And what did you talk about how it was going to be when when he came back? And just I guess the the bigger question: How's he doing? Yeah, like he he's doing really well. Um, he he's just a confident guy. He doesn't really let poor performances sort of dictate who he is as a person like you know some guys have real high highs and real low lows he sort of just sits in the middle doesn't you wouldn't know if he's you know if you chat to him at the ground you wouldn't know if he scored 100 or or a 50 or a or a, you know if he's got a pair in a game he's just really level-headed um and I think he's just got back to his work to be honest he's back to training back gymming hard he's doing all the things that he needs to do I suppose to to be an improved test cricketer when he when he does get another chance uh, but also t- to perform for us um and I think he's probably very excited to get out there in the red ball next week to sort of put those doubts you know to bed I suppose and I mentioned the the coaching group you're kind of working with now that Mark Elaine and Ian Harvey are back at the club you're kind of working with almost the nucleus of the last really great winning Gloucestershire team what's it like being you know what did are they you know you're all good players to get to this level are they are they more talking about that kind of winning mentality and those and those and those tactics what's it like being being around a group that you know those guys who know each other so well and know what it would like and what it takes to win trophies yeah they they've been really good um look Carves has sort of just been really clear that he wants to continue, you know, in his own style, but continue where, you know, Richard Dawson left us. So that's been really nice in the in the fact that we haven't had to change anything really. Um, because I think that would have been really tough if we had to change the way we play cricket or change the way we go about things. I think that side of things has been really easy just as a playing group, just to stick to what we know and do what we've done. Um, and having Mark in, I suppose he's been in, you know, maybe a couple of weeks as in overall, but just in and out at the moment. I think he's still at school a bit. He's still at his school a little bit. So, but he's been really good. Um, he's such a relaxed guy. I didn't quite imagine how relaxed he'd be. He's so relaxed and sort of, you know, you can sense whenever you, I suppose, he's a natural leader, obviously. Um, he led Gloucestershire to, you know, all those success and stuff. But I'd supp- suppose the best thing from Mark that I've found is just, just the advice he's, I've been able to take off him, you know, being very similar players and just, I suppose taking situations out of the picture and just just actually linking back to how you're feeling in those moments you know I bowled a lot this year and he's you know trying to sort of learn how to deal with that and at the same time going back well and all that kind of stuff so I suppose that's been his biggest influence on me so far and I hopefully you know I can actually show some repay some of that um, sort of faith they've shown in me but um, yeah, just being really good guys. That's that's one of their main, I suppose, attributes. You're learning from two top quality all-rounders there who kind of dominated that that middle night yeah. period. Final question from me, and it's one that was passed on to me by a Middlesex supporting friend of mine, possibly slightly bitter at how this season's gone. Why did you leave Middlesex? To be honest, I think I left in the end just purely for a change of scenery and also, I mean, I probably cited like 
lack of um, opportunity quite a lot in the past. I think looking back on it, you know, I've had a few years to sort of reflect on this and inevitably the question comes up quite a lot. But I think at the time I felt like I wasn't going to get opportunity in Red Bull cricket at Middlesex. I felt like every time I sort of was close to getting an opportunity, they would sign someone else who sort of would would do the same role as me or, you know, whatever it might be. Or I didn't ever find myself being in a position to nail down a red ball spot so at that time i just decided that the best thing for me would just to be to move on but i suppose now looking back on it i probably would have got those opportunities eventually but at the same time i think i just couldn't quite let go i suppose in a way i was a bit sour um i couldn't let go the fact that you know they hadn't backed me they showed me faith in one day cricket but never showed me faith in red ball cricket and i had richard dawson you know down the m4 telling me you're going to play every format you know, I want you to be, you know, one of our best players. I want you to to take Gloucestershire to the next level. You know, that's one of that's one of the reasons, I suppose. Ryan, I hope you live with somebody because there was just somebody walked across the back of you there. So if you, if you don't live with somebody, you've got a burglar. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's my wife. Yeah, she's just <laughs> yeah, sneaking through. <laughs> Badges are furry creatures. 85% of women badges think bad grooming is a major turn-off. 80% of women badges think men should trim below the belt. 89% of men think good grooming is essential to the professional success. Don't just dismiss it out of hand. Get on there, manscaped.com. Check out their great range of male grooming accessories. Hygiene, appearance, attractiveness, confidence. Simply go to manscaped.com, quote the discount code BADGER. You get 20% off, you get free shipping, and you get some seriously quality equipment. Manscaped.com, together we save balls. Abby, let him have it. Let him have it. As a Somerset fan, give it to him. I think, Ryan, that as a Somerset fan, I am actually the kindest Somerset fan um, because, as we've already said, that Bristol association means that I do think very fondly of Gloucestershire. Um, And I do think that Gloucestershire have made a marked improvement, particularly this year and last year compared to um, the 2019 season. So first of all, congratulations for that. But you've also spoken so far about how you want to play all formats what is your favorite format to play and why yeah yeah no thanks very much i suppose my favorite format is probably four day cricket purely because i just love the feeling of well i love the feeling of having to work really hard for something and then at the end of it when you win i don't think there's any better feeling than sort of just getting back in the changing rooms just knowing that you've you've done that with 11 of your probably best mates just um yeah, I, I love that feeling. Whereas, you know, T20, one day cricket, you sort of just out there for, you know, three hours, you get a win, you sing the song, but it never means quite as much. It still means a lot, but it just happens like that, you know. Um, whereas four days, there's so much anticipation, there's there's nerves all the time. I mean, literally during a game at night, you're just th- constantly thinking about it and constantly worried about 
who's going to bowl well tomorrow, who's going to bat well tomorrow. Hopefully they don't bat well. So I suppose all those things linked and then you end up getting a win. It just makes it so special. I've got uh, another question as well. Uh, oh, sorry, be, be, before, before you ask your second question, I'm going to throw that one, Ryan's answer back to you as a supporter. Because I always think with Test cricket and with County Championship cricket, the spectators kind of view on the game is very similar to that because you invest so much time watching a championship game or a Test match that you feel like you're almost owed something at the end of it or you've kind of, you've invested your time in it so you, you enjoy it a little bit more rather than I mean I think everybody likes T20 but it's a little bit more throwaway isn't it because you've invested your time in the championship game as a spectator do you you feel that you get a bit more from it absolutely I mean I work in a pub in Bristol and there was a girl who came in the other day who liked rugby and we got to talking about the sports that we liked and I was trying to explain why I like cricket to her and particularly with the Red Bull side of things I said to her that it's I like cricket because it's like a toxic relationship where particularly supporting Somerset, they'll just keep doing things wrong and they'll keep letting you down. But then they do one thing right. And then it's like nothing has ever happened. It's like it's the best thing on earth. I mean, it's the same with being an England supporter, really. It's like it's a toxic relationship. Um that actually does me a lot of good. Cricket is an astonishingly cruel sport. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like it's it's sadistic sometimes watching it, like when you watch England's batting order collapsing. But I just can't get enough of it. I can't take my eyes off the screen. I've spent quite a lot of time recently commentating on rain. Yeah. <laughs> and you just think it's a stupid sport, but I can't I can't stop watching it. Have you got all the clouds sorted out, Knuckles? You can describe the sky as well. <laughs> Cumulus and stratus and all that kind of stuff. I think I'm going to have to go on a meteorology course at this, <laughs> at this, at this rate. Back to you, Ryan, on that. The, the yeah. fact that, that, that cricket is... I mean, as a cricketer, you probably fail more than you succeed, don't you? It, on a personal level, anyway. Yeah, I fail a lot. Um, although... I mean, I don't mean I don't just mean you. I mean everybody, not just you. No, no, 100%. <laughs> yeah, like, we, we all speak about this all the time, about how much we fail. <laughs> <laughs> and how much like the days when you actually do something well, you actually need to, you know, take stock of it and, you know, take it down and, and you know, let it, let it, I suppose, overtake you and how you feel because it's really important to remember those days because inevitably in cricket, there can be some long, long, hard weeks um, where, where you don't. Um, but especially like if you're a batter, I think, I think the batters have it tougher than t- tougher than the bowlers or definitely the all-rounders because it's just when they're out of form, it's just week on week. You can just see it just eating away and eating away. Whereas the bowlers, you know, you're never, you're out of form in terms of you might not be taking wickets, but you could still find a way to contribute to the team with, you know, your, your economy rate or that kind of thing, which which still actually adds value. Whereas when you're batting, if you get out, you actually add, you've almost added no value and you just feel, you know, shocking. So I, I always used to think that when I used to play club cricket and I was probably very similar to you as a player. Yeah. Um, but not to your standard, unfortunately. Um, but the um, as a batsman, play one bad shot and you're out aren't you as a bowler you bowl one bad ball it gets hit for six but you can take a wicket with the next one can't you there's more comeback time I don't understand why anyone will be an opening batter who doesn't bowl in club cricket like you travel an hour hour and a half to go somewhere you get one ball and then you're just you're just stuck somewhere in the middle of nowhere for six hours <laughs> yeah or, or an open batter in the championship <laughs> <laughs> so there is someone on Twitter who does do a, a thing of people who get out before 11 o'clock yeah I've seen that <laughs> it happens so much doesn't it i mean i think some of the umpires actually ask now are you happy to take you know take stance before 11 o'clock sometimes at like 9 uh, 10 58 or whatever 
you got someone running into bowl, you just hope they don't nick off. Can, can you not take them to court? So the match hasn't officially started yet. It's not 11 o'clock. I think there was someone who got out before the season had technically started. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Abby, back to you. I have one more question for you, Ryan. Obviously, we've already addressed Somerset versus Gloucestershire rivalry. The way I have always described it is that it's not as heated as some rivalries like the Roses teams, purely because... I think that Gloucester and Somerset do get along quite well in the end because by the time it's the innings break, we'll have all had too much cider to forget that we're meant to be enemies. Um, but I feel like we can't go through a Gloucestershire versus Somerset podcast without discussing Gloucestershire's win against Somerset earlier in the season in the county championship. It was something like your first Red Bull win at Taunton in 11 years or something. Um, how did that feel? I mean, I, I imagine it, it felt good, but in your own words, how did it feel as a Gloucestershire team? Obviously, after last year, it felt pretty good. Um, I think we knew, like I knew Somerset probably didn't have their best performance, but for us to to beat Somerset at Taunton was like obviously very special um, in terms of everything that goes with it. Um, for me, I suppose for me, it's not necessarily a mass. Like I, I've not ever viewed it as like a really intense rivalry until like I met like Denty, Paney and those guys, you know, they have a real intense and that sort of rubs off of, on me now. So I suppose it's sort of grown into that rivalry. Um, but yeah, it was a really special, I think beating a side like that, because they are a, a very special side and, and I would have thought that, you know, they'll be contending for the, for the championship this year. Um, it was, it was pretty special. Yeah, hopefully a few more, but you never know. Uh, Abby, you did have a third question, didn't you? Which you mentioned on our WhatsApp group about the the, the poor to lose. I feel like, Ryan, you're not going to be able to answer anything about this because it's not a Gloucester. I, th- I think Ryan should take responsibility for it and go and sort it out, Ms. Delph. Is this the, is this the, at the ground? It is at the ground. It's the poor to lose situation. Yeah, I, I, I was broke there my toe. The England women's match yesterday, and in yeah. the least explicit way possible, it felt like someone had gone to the toilet and a fish had come out of them. I think, I think that's explicit like, enough. Yeah. <laughs> I think we all get that picture. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to be fair, I broke my toe a couple of weeks ago and um, I sort of went to what I was watching the game. And yeah, the poor Thalouse, yeah. I, no comment, no comment. <laughs> I saw a tweet this morning, got sent the email from the uh, the Cricket Supporters Association, um, which is a really good organisation. If you're a fan out there and you're listening and you like your county cricket, it's well worth getting involved in that and joining that. Um, but Becky sent me the uh, the press release earlier on today. And there's a few quite little, um, quite interesting little stats they come from a recent survey they've done. I think it's the biggest survey that they've ever conducted as an organisation. Just to kind of go through the headlines 63% of cricket fans feel negatively about the 100. 43% of cricket fans intend to watch more cricket this year compared to last year. 33% of fans feel more engaged with cricket now. So I think the streams have obviously played a big part in that engagement, you would imagine. 94% think the lack of priority for the county championship, though, will impact on test cricket. So 94% of cricket fans that responded felt that the ECB don't give enough priority to the county championship, and therefore, when they watch the test matches, the test team, that, that's the first thing you're going to blame the county championship because that isn't getting the investment there are plenty of other stats and things that come out of that research so have a look at the uh, the cricket supporters association website just on the, on those um those figures that that 94 there abby for lack of priority for the county championship affecting the test team do you see that on the ground when you're watching the watching somerset do you, do you feel that when you're going around watching county cricket i do particularly because 
I mean, everyone's always spoken about the county championship as this faltering trophy that's on its last legs. No one wants to pay attention to it anymore. Whenever I go down to Taunton for the county championship, and I don't know whether it's just because Taunton's such a small ground or what, but we are always at least half full. I don't know where they're getting these stats from. And the, the stats that we've seen from the streaming services, every t- every time I see a county giving out their recent streaming figures, we're talking about colossal numbers, Knuckle, aren't we? It's a myth. It's a complete... The idea that the county championship or cricket in general is dying is a complete myth. More people are probably watching and following the county championship now than they ever have because you can watch every ball on any device, any device you like. Yeah, you know, you don't have people, you know, queuing up outside newsstands or whatever to, to watch it and, you know, throwing their bowler hats in the air when, when Jim Lakers taking another tenfer or whatever, you know. But the, the way people consume it is is, is different. Yeah, this idea of the county championship as the one man and his dog trope is just a complete and utter myth. Um, as as I will say to anyone, I you know I spoke to Ben Warren at Somerset a little while ago, um, and last season, even last season, the streams basically filled a hole in the revenues. They expect to be able to make it profitable, uh, and Somerset is not a, a huge county by any means. You know, it's a it's a historic county and has uh and, and has a lot going for it in that sense, but even if there aren't many people in the ground for whatever reason, there are still loads of people watching. Um, and this is true of all sorts of cricket around the world. I, as far as the 94% of people, I don't, I understand the emotional reason behind that. Because, I mean, this survey was done in, I think it was finished in maybe, I think maybe just at the end of that series against India when in England had been losing a lot. So you can understand the emotional weight of, of that. I'm not so sure about that, to be honest. I think particularly given that the format has changed again and we, and we sort of briefly mentioned the conference system, but is it as weird for the players as it is for the fans, the fact that, and, and those of us who cover the sport, playing in a competition that changes its regulations every year? Um, I suppose not not so much. I mean, we haven't really noticed like a massive change in, in the standard of cricket. I think one thing that a lot of county cricketers do get frustrated by is, and not not in a bad way, but just, just frustrated, you know, when, I, I suppose, like slightly controversial, but, you know, when, when England do go away um, and then, you know, lose to India. And, and I suppose county cricket gets blamed for the, for those losses. But it's sort of like, well, the programmes that, that England have in place um, to actually set people up to play spin bowling, to play pace bowling. I mean, England Lions travel pretty much every single winter to go and prepare themselves to play those those conditions. I don't think it necessarily... I suppose that's the one frustration that I think a lot of county cricketers have, if that makes yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I'm i not convinced that a very hyper-prepared England team could beat this India team away, yeah, to be honest. Yeah, agreed. Um, it's the best team, like, probably, they could probably have a first team, a second team, a third team that compete in an international state. England played astonishingly well in that first test match to, to get a, to get a victory. <laughs> and yes, obviously, yeah. I don't necessarily take the argument that the ECB don't prioritise the county championship to start with, no. and then the impact on, on the test matches. I understand where the belief comes from, but I'm just, I'm not wholly sure that it stands up to, to reason. The one that I found interesting was people are actually more engaged with, despite the fact that we have all of the, we have a majority feeling negatively about the 100, Despite the fact that we have a minority thinking that the ECB considers fans when making decisions, the number of people who want to watch more cricket and feel more engaged with cricket now compared to two years ago, which was an incredible summer of cricket with the World Cup and the Ashes and a brilliant finals day and a really good end to the county championship season, people are more invested now than ever. So clearly cricket's doing something right. I mean, that, that has to be the streams though, Knuckles, isn't it? I mean, the, the fact that you come out of COVID, we were all starved of sport for a few months and then... Well, I wonder if COVID's part of it, to be and honest. Then, and then cricket comes back and you're able to watch the stream 
dreams and you can actually feel part of something even though you're sat in your living room that that has to be part of that you feel more engaged and you feel closer to it despite the fact that you feel away from it it's not rocket science is it make games available in good quality and people all want to watch them that's a, that's a fairly good formula i'd suggest fairly good formula Ryan, the hundred. I mean, I'm very much opposed to the hundred, so um, bear, bear with me on this one. Um, but you, you're going to be uh, playing for the Welsh Fire um, in that competition. I mean, that that stat that we just read out there: sixty-three percent of cricket fans feel negatively about the hundred. You, you'll have seen some of the um, debates, I'm sure, about the competition. A, are you looking forward to it? And B, do you um, take on board some of the sort of negativity? Yeah, I think I think with any new competition, there's you know going to be negativity. I suppose from a player's point of view, um, you know it, it'll lead into to finances, things like you know much well definitely money, um, and then also I suppose what will happen with the hundred. I think the hundred will now be a, another platform to showcase your your international credentials. So as a player, I think a lot of players will be of the viewpoint that they're pretty keen to play in the 100 ball. Um, uh, whether or not, you know, they necessarily believe that it's needed for English cricket, they might not actually take that into, into account when they put their name in the hat, I suppose, because, you know, as a player, you sort of, yeah. you have to do what you have to do. Basically, all the way through yeah. my opposition for it. I mean, I'm, I'm a bit worried about the future of the county, the 18 counties and various other arguments. But the one part of the equation that I've always forgiven is the players, because if I was you, I'd play in the 100 despite my misgivings because I want the cash and I want to play on the, on that stage. Yeah, I think um I think I I definitely at the start had a lot of concerns for for what what would happen to the county game, you know, whether or not they were going to sort of um streamline the county game in the future or how how that was going to work. Um obviously as a player, I hope that doesn't happen. Those decisions are sort of, you know, far beyond, I suppose. I don't know how long the the agree I think it was the agreement for like 3 years or something or a bit more than that. I think it's 3, isn't it? Yeah, I can't remember exactly, but um, yeah, I think there are a lot of things within the deal that definitely were more on the players' side than um, than the counties, I suppose. And yeah, I I don't know how it's going to play out. I suppose um, I know there's definitely a lot of lot of county cricket fans who are opposed to it. It's definitely a feeling, you know, at any event I go to or anything like that. A lot of county fans are, are very against it because I suppose in a way as well, it's going to make the county game you know, slightly weaker for six or seven weeks because players are going off and playing and they're not going to get any England players playing county cricket for that time. So, yeah, there's going to be, there will be definitely some negativity around it. There's also the usual scheduling thing that it takes a block out of the summer where there's not going to be the county championship. One thing that I think doesn't really get discussed enough is actually the, you know, the playing of it. You know, this isn't going to be like the start of the T20 Cup in England where teams weren't taking it seriously. As much as, you know, it's being marketed in a way that, you know, it is fun and inclusive and, and all of this stuff. But, it, you know, you're playing with some really high quality players who are not who are not used to turning up and not taking their cricket seriously. Um, you know, I can't imagine Kyron Pollard would be turning up for a jolly uh, for, for six weeks, for example. That doesn't, doesn't strike me as someone who ever lets up on the intensity. Has there been much talk about the actual tactical playing of of this hundred ball format not so much tactical yet you know we've already had initial contacts um from gary kirsten i suppose you know a few weeks ago already so i suppose that also shows how you know seriously he's taking it um he's already been in contact he's trying to you know get guys feelings on how to go about the hundred um i know that like a few of the guys um ian cobain from gloss he played those few hundred ball games and um, the practice games or whatever a few years ago. So he had some sort of stuff that he spoke about. It virtually, it, it does seem like it's going to be a more aggressive type of cricket 
guys are going to look to hit more sixes than than fours, I think. Um, so it's sort of going to go from the mentality whether you're striking them at 150, 160. Kind of like an ultra modern new age T20 approach. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I saw. Have you watched any of the T10 in Abu Dhabi? Uh, I was paying attention vaguely to some of the scorecards, but only really when I was looking at IPL draft stuff. I, I watched quite a lot of it. Um, yeah, I, I found it quite. I, I found it quite fun actually, because um, it was just basically shut your eyes and hit. Yeah. <laughs> there, there wasn't. There didn't seem to be too much um, strategy to it. It was just basically foot to the floor from the start. I suppose in a way it makes every ball more intense. Yeah, I think. I suppose that is the 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 strategy for the. T- T10, it was like, so I actually went out as like a sort of replacement COVID player and um, I sort of trained next to a few of the teams or whatever and watching people train you could see it was just a different intensity they were go they were going into nets and trying to hit every ball for six so that training sort of i suppose related to the pitch and you know guys like nicholas puran he was ridiculously hitting the ball that far and but also the ability to do it that consistently is just unbelievable so i sort of imagine the 100 ball is going to be a bit like that with a bit more tactics slash you know actually batsmanship involved <laughs> are, are you going to be a welsh fire fan abby james we've already discussed this um i still feel very torn about the competition in general i would like to get my hand on the match tax cards though because if i think there's one thing the hundred have done right it is the match tax cards yeah. and i'm looking forward to the dare and get to a big sainsbury's i wanted i looked in the um, sainsbury's local opposite neville road yesterday when i went up to the england game and they had the euros one but they didn't have the hundred very disappointing. I mean, the Welsh fire got Sarah Taylor in the. I mean, that's enough of a reason to yeah uh, for, for for fandom right there. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously, if there was, if I avidly supported the hundred, then I would be supporting Welsh fire. I'll watch it on the telly and I'll watch it on the the Sky YouTube, but I sadly won't be going over to Cardiff. Born in Zimbabwe, Ryan obviously grew up yeah. in the UK. Are, are you uh, feeling Welsh now? Yeah, no, definitely. Um, sort of, Wally, when you when you get drafted, he sends you um, a nice message, but he sort of puts it in Welsh and then <laughs> um, translates it to English. So I'm going to have to brush up on that. But yeah, no, um, I, I am really excited to spend a few weeks in Cardiff. Um, I do, I love Cardiff as a city and yeah, I suppose it's going. It is going to be unbelievable in terms of I'm going to be able to learn from players who, you know, in another in another world I probably would never play with or against so yeah it's pretty special what is better Ryan Cardiff or Bristol oh no Bristol is better than Cardiff but purely because <laughs> um, I live here <laughs> have you have you played any T20 franchise elsewhere um I saw I do you know what? I had this one opportunity where I went and played for um in a T20 competition in Abu Dhabi for the boost defenders which was really strange actually I played with like Colin Ingram and um mm. Carl Albert which is cool, the Afghan Premier League yeah, yeah, it was really, really great experience. But I sort of only went over for a for a game. It was like a three day comp, I think. And yeah, no, it was really fun. Just literally went over, played a T twenty, came back the next day. Um, but yeah, that was the only real experience I've had in it. Knuckle, last question to Ryan before we wrap up today. A question: uh, Looking kind of long term at the rest of the season, so the 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 end of this county championship block and then into the second half, do Gloucestershire think that you can compete on both fronts, on the on the blast and the county championship fronts? Because we see a lot of teams in your position prioritising one over the other. Are Gloucestershire now thinking that they can compete on uh, that you can compete on the four day and the T twenty front? I guess apologies for any Royal London One Day Cup fanatics. It's always the forgotten child, sadly. Yeah, I think I think now we probably are. We are confident, you know, where we are in the group we're 
with the four day stuff, we're confident we can compete. Um, we've got two weeks at Cheltenham against, you know, Middlesex and Hampshire. So, you know, Middlesex haven't had the best time this year, but they're still a strong side if you look at, you know, if they perform well. Um, and then Hampshire will be a massive test. Um, but we, we've done well at Cheltenham over the last few years. So we're really confident we can compete in that side of things. Um, in terms of the te- 2020, I think we're we're really lucky in terms of how well we've done over a quite a long period of time now that it means, you know, guys who only play T20 know their role, guys who play four days and T20 know their role. So there's not really a lot of confusion on what, what we have to do to win in that format. Um, it's just about actually going out there and doing that. Whereas four day, I think, you know, obviously we, we feel confident, but there is still a lot of learning for us to do. Still a lot of um, sort of little things that that we need to learn in terms of, how to play and beat the best sides. I think, um, you know, Hampshire, playing at Hampshire and Surrey on on a bit flatter wickets, I think that sort of proved that we needed to take it up another level to actually compete with these guys. And But those are all good things. And hopefully over the next couple of weeks, we can sort of, you know, prove that we we maybe deserve to be in that top top group. And then, then we'll take it from there. But yeah. Heartily applaud the ambition. Yeah. Uh, I'll come to you, Abby, uh, in just a second with the final question of the podcast for Ryan. But we talked about Mark Lane and that great team that won all those one-day trophies uh, back in the day. And how much of a burden is that for the current Gloucestershire side? I know when I was working at Yorkshire, there were kind of pictures up of the old players and then they took them down at one stage and then put them back up. And they basically put them back up and said to the players, right, make your own history. Put yourself up on that wall. Is that the kind of attitude there? You know, an era to be proud of and and emulate them? Um, To be honest, not much. like it doesn't feel like that at, at all, really. Just purely because I suppose it was—it's a long time ago. There's not a lot of players. Well, there's no players who sort of played in amongst that group. There's a lot of coaching staff um, still around, and that. Sorry to interrupt, but the um, yeah, the, the thing about the Yorkshire stuff. I mean, a lot of that happened in the in the kind of like fifties and sixties. Mm. But a lot of the older members are still kind of saying, "Well, we we get Brian Claus and Ray Lingworth would do that and that and that," and it kind of was a bit of a burden on the current side because there was that oh, sort of saddle of expectation. Whereas, do you kind of feel that at Gloucestershire is that a different kind of vibe there? Not really. Um, yeah, our supporters are really, um, really unbelievable, especially the last couple of years. You know, when we, we we've done well, they've been so supportive and I suppose even like getting promotion felt like a small victory for them probably over the last few years so again I don't I don't feel like the players do have that pressure you know I don't I haven't really asked I haven't really dived into it with detail with guys like Denty and um, you know Jack Taylor Paney and those senior guys because they might they might feel like that I'm not 100% sure but um, there's definitely now around the ground there's a lot of the history and also the you know us as players all around the ground so it's a good mix between both. Um, I think the club's sort of trying to brand themselves as, you know, quite a Bristolian sort of place, you know, a bit funky. We've got graffiti all over the ground now. That looks really so good, doesn't it? I've seen, I've, seen, of, I've seen the pictures of the graffiti on the walls and stuff. That's, yeah. That looks excellent. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I mean, it sort of takes the club into the culture of Bristol and also just makes us feel like we're sort of building something, I suppose, in that in that regard. It's quite cool. Yeah, Neil Prescott, who came over from Lord, sorted all that out and he's, yeah, he's been awesome for that side of things. Abby? Well, Ryan, on Thursday, I'm going to be there in the mound stand and as a Somerset, it's the Somerset, well, Gloucester versus Somerset T20 on Thursday at Bristol County Ground. Which Somerset players are you least excited about facing, Ryan? Um, I'm not like that worried about facing any of them I'm a bit more worried um, to bowl at Devon Conway um, oh wow you never know with old Devon 
didn't do too well on his debut match the other night. I haven't actually been paying attention to how he's doing tonight because we've been recording. I think Som- Somerset bowled first, so I think he might not have batted Oh, yet, yeah. But, we'll wait and but, see. Yeah, yeah. We'll wait and see. And then, But no, I'm still not looking forward to bowling him. <laughs> yeah. So are you going to be in that mound stand? I'll be hurling abuse at to Ryan Higgins from the, from the sidelines. I would never hurl abuse at <laughs> <to> players. <laughs> it's uh, it's been great to have you on, Ryan, and uh, back on the podcast again. It's uh, been uh, uh, really good to have you back. And as I said at the start, um, Anthony McGrath is our guest next week on the uh, Cricket Badger podcast. And your final task is to set him one or two questions that so we can carry that forward into next week. Yeah. So I suppose I'll just stay on theme with the hundred ball. Yeah. So how is he going to sort of deal with the challenges of losing players? during the 100 ball and sort of will he be looking to to put young youngsters in or will he be looking to fill those roles with with older players I'm, I'm not sure he'll give much away but maybe we'll I, yeah, we'll, we'll put it to him and you can tune yeah. in next week to find out what his answer is uh, Ryan Higgins yeah, it's been uh, an absolute pleasure we wish you all the best um, for Thursday and uh, competing with Abby's uh, <laughs> singing from the stands and for the rest of the season thanks for joining us again thanks very much cheers everyone and uh, to Knuckle and to Abby Knuckle Panday and the fan badger tonight um, thank you very much to both of you two as well cheers James thank you James Go well, Ryan. Thanks, cheers. And uh, thanks everybody out there for joining us. We'll be back again next week. As I said, it's going to be Essex head coach, former Yorkshire batsman, Anthony McGrath with us next week on the Cricket Badger podcast. We'll see you then. Sports Social Podcast Network.